Hey, y'all. It's me, Jess Bubbico, and I am excited to be here with you on the Waking Up with Jess podcast. Each week, I'll invite you to wake up to your inner knowingness, get creative, and march to the beat of your own drum in your business and life. We'll dive into different subject areas from business to health to work, relationships, and beyond. On the podcast, we'll get raw, honest, and real, keeping it a little bit personal, a little bit educational, and most importantly, we're going to have a lot of fun. Each episode, you'll feel like you're sitting down at a coffee shop having an intimate conversation with a few of your best friends. Join me each week as I act as your confidant and friend who loves the heck out of you and wants to see you shine. Come along and wake up with a cup of Jess. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. I am really excited because I have with me here today, Kate Northrup on the podcast, and we're going to be diving into all things, talking about the M word money. So Kate, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Hi. Hi. Do you want to tell everybody a little bit about yourself and the work that you do in the world? Sure. So I am a writer. I write books too so far. Um, the first one I wrote called Money, a Love Story came out a decade ago. And it was um chronicling a discovery that I had, which is that the personal finance world was really missing a huge piece. And that piece was the piece around our emotions, around money. And so money, a love story. Um, I got myself into a lot of credit card debt because I was just completely spaced out about money and thought it was boring and thought in order to be smart financially, you had to live in deprivation. And I was really not interested in that. So I just like, you know, I just was really financially avoidant and then realized that was not doing me any favors and knew that my financial avoidance was a way of playing small. So, but I couldn't like the advice other people were giving just wasn't, didn't feel right to me. It felt like, like discipline and like, eh, just felt wrong. And so not that there's anything wrong with discipline, but I just knew that it was going to need to have fun and pleasure and love involved for me to do it. And so I was able to add those ingredients in and pay off all of my debt and double my income and triple my savings in like a very short period of time. So that's what money love story was about. And then a bunch of other stuff happened, including like a very rocky entree into motherhood and a reckoning with my relationship with productivity and being capable. And then I wrote my second book, Do Less, about that and what I learned after being through a hell of a first year of parenting, where I devoted less work than I, less time than I'd ever devoted to work, but made more money. And I thought, wow, there's got to be something to that. So that's what I wrote Do Less about. Wait. Everything you just said, I feel like there's so much depth to get into here with this work. I was sharing before we pressed record on here that Money, a Love Story was like my first ever finance book that I read. I think I went to like the local metaphysical store and like picked the book up 
And I was doing one-on-one coaching at the time. And I actually had recommended it to a bunch of clients who all love the book. And there's a couple key points of what you just said that I, I love, which is that idea that money has to be boring, that it has to be, um, it has to mean we deprive ourselves of something and that, um, none of the advice that you were hearing out there really felt right for you. So I'm curious, like, how did, how did you have that realization for yourself? Because I was super money avoidant as well. I'm like, didn't want to look at it, thought it was boring. I mean, I just remember my dad always being up there, like crunching the spreadsheets at night after dinner and all that kind of stuff. So what was sort of like your, your revelation or entry point to realize that this isn't actually a good thing that I actually need to make some kind of change? I think it was from working with my mentor, Barbara Hewson, who used to be named Barbara Stanny. And I was taking her class overcoming under earning, um, in person. She was teaching it live in New York. And I just, I don't know if it was something she said, or, you know, when you engage in that sort of material, you'll just open yourself up to realizations. And I realized that I was playing small because her whole premise is about the relationship you have as a woman to money is the same as the relationship you have to power. And I knew that I was a powerful person. I also knew I was playing really small. And I knew that a way I was doing that was by siphoning all this energy into financial chaos. Because if I was having financial chaos, it prevented me from showing up in all these other ways in the world. And it was kind of a convenient excuse. Mm -hmm. And um, I knew that I needed to do it differently. And at the time I was studying at Mama Gina School of Womanly Arts in New York with Regina Thomas Hauer. And her work is really about pleasure and adding pleasure into every aspect of our lives as a healing element. And so I just thought, well, what what would it be like if I approached my finances from the standpoint of fun and pleasure. And it really changed everything for me. Um, didn't necessarily make it, well, it did make it easier, but it just made me do it. Yeah. (laughs) It made it feel like it wasn't a chore. It made it feel like, and then I just realized, you know, whether it's through, you know, a course in miracles or whatever other work, just that idea of we want to choose love over fear. And I realized that my avoidance was choosing fear and that Mm -hmm. if I could add love to the equation, maybe it would change things. And so I did that in a variety of ways because there's a lot of different ways we can add love. Um, And it really was effective. Yeah. Can you take us through some of like what that looks like to start adding love and pleasure to your practices, money practices? So at the time I was doing a yoga teacher training and, um, one of our assignments, which I was really having trouble doing was (laughs) meditating every morning and also doing pranayama every morning breath, like a breath work practice. And it was yet another thing that I wasn't doing that I knew I was supposed to be doing. And I thought, all right, maybe I, I didn't think about it in this way, but in retrospect, I realized this is what I was doing. I was like, okay, maybe I'll do some habit stacking. And so habit stacking is when you have one habit 
that you add to another so that it makes the second one more likely to stick. So like, let's say um, you wanted to start flossing, but you already had a habit of, um, I don't know, walking around the block at night. You could just like floss while you walk around the block at night. Maybe that's a bad example. <laughs> it works. I've seen people do crazier stuff. You're in Miami. Yeah. I'm sure you've seen people do crazier oh. things here and Miami. there. Yeah. So weird. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the best way. Mm -hmm. So what I ended up doing is I was do, I had started doing like this small morning spiritual practice with the meditation and the pranayama. Cause I finally actually started to do it. Cause basically I just wanted to make my teachers like me, um, habit stacking. I was already a people pleaser. So then I added it to that habit during my homework. And so I added in checking my bank account balance every morning, but I did it in an important way. So as a money avoider, I knew I needed to take small doable action steps. A lot of the personal growth industry has us take an approach, which is like throwing a small child into the deep end of a pool as a way of teaching them to swim. Yeah. As a parent, I would never do that to my child. Um, it might work. I don't know. It's just not for me. However, there's a lot of personal development that's very like, oh, you have an avoidance of this thing or this thing is scary to you. We're going to have you do it now in front of 3000 people on a stage while we blast music and everyone screams. Like, so it's yeah. like, blasting completely past our boundaries. And it's kind of like this, I don't know what that's called anyway. Traumatizing in a lot it's of called I, trauma. I, yeah, I think it's traumatizing. Yeah, I do. Um, yeah. And it's been a standard practice in a lot of the personal growth circles for decades. Yeah. Um, I just knew that wasn't going to work for me. So instead yeah. I said, okay, what I need to do is to learn, figure out a way to associate money with feeling good. Like, like not just money. I mean, yeah, money feels good. Like, cause we can buy stuff, but like yeah. looking at my money, I needed to start engaging with looking at my money. So what I did is I would do my morning meditation and get myself in a state of gratitude where I was already feeling good. And then I would look at my bank account balance while actively generating a feeling of gratitude for the ways my life was already abundant. Now, at that time in my life, I was not financially very abundant. So oftentimes my checking account was overdrawn. So oftentimes when I looked at my bank account balance, it was negative. Mm -hmm. So this is not a practice of like give gratitude for the money that's in there, though it could be. Sure. So I needed to focus on things like, um, I have a comforter that I really love. I have these beautiful friends. Yeah. I have takeout that I'm so excited to eat for lunch that's left yeah. over in the fridge, stuff like that. And so it was associating, beginning to associate looking at money with feeling good was one way of adding love into the equation. I love this. I recently have started a money mastermind with my two best friends who I like trust the most. And I'm like, here's what I feel uncomfortable about. Let's get on a call. And it like, it brings that sense of like feeling good. And there being like non-judgment and like, 
here's your stuff. Here's my stuff too. Like that. So I love that idea of being able to bring something simple to the equation. That's probably very personal for every single person around whatever it is that feels good to you when you check your bank account and look at it. Yeah. And what I was doing, which again, I didn't know at the time because I hadn't done the research, but what I was doing is I was healing my nervous system around money and I was increasing my capacity for money to feel safe and for money to feel good. And now I have the, you know, now I know the science behind that. Let's get into that science a little bit because you, um, there was something I, I remember I took your last seminar webinar around the thermostat versus the thermometer. And I called up my best friend who's in our little money Monday morning, money babes mastermind is what we call it. I came down to Miami to do it yesterday. And, um, it's just, I called her and I was like, my whole mind is blown. Like this makes so much sense. So talk to us. Cause I feel like so much, and it's not that it's a bad thing. I think we need all of it, but so much of the money conversation is often focused on mindset, money mindset. And I could look in the mirror all day long and be like, you're a millionaire. You're amazing. Your bank account is filled with so much money. You don't even know what to do with it. But the nervous system piece is like the part that will physically stop my fingers from putting, you know, typing in bank of America or chase or whatever it is. So talk to me about the nervous system and how that all works and why it's important as it relates to money. So our nervous system is a whole network of nerves. It is also the brain is part of it and the spinal cord that makes all these micro adjustments all day long without us having to think about it. So, so wonderful. And it regulates every other system in the body. And I believe that our nervous system makes up a lot of our unconscious, or at least directs a lot of our unconscious actions and thoughts, um, and behaviors and feelings. (laughs) And our, we think like the mindset world is sort of, um, there's nothing wrong with it. I suggest some of that. But the problem is that's basically saying that if you can fix everything with your mindset is the same thing as looking at an iceberg and seeing just that tippity top and being like, that's the iceberg. And when underneath is like 90% of it is underneath the ocean and you can't see it. And so that's what we have to know about what's impacting our behavior and our reality. It's like 90% we can't see it. And mindset work is just the tip that we can see. And so what we know is that um, the communication between our brain and our body, 80% of the information is moving from our brain to our body. So 80% of the communication uh, channels, our body receives information, tells our brain about it. Our brain is only sending 20% of the communication. So our brain gets the information tells our body. Now, our the world around mindset work assumes that our brain is telling everything, like 80, 90%, 100%. And it's just inaccurate. And so actually what's driving most of our behavior, most of our emotions, which of course lead to our behavior, uh, the, you know, things we say, the things we feel, whether or not we find ourselves able to do the things that we know are good for us is mostly our body. 
what happens is our body, our nervous system, uh, gets developed in such a way that is really evolutionarily brilliant, which is that it's wired to keep us alive. So awesome. It's been working great so far. Thank you. However, nervous system. Yeah. Thank you, nervous system, for keeping me alive to this point. The thing is, it's not wired to help us thrive. And thriving for most of us requires us to expand our lives beyond what we've experienced before. And our, according to our nervous system, that which is unfamiliar is unsafe. So just think about that for a minute. What have you experienced in your life so far around money? Is that what you would like to experience more of? Maybe yes, maybe no. Maybe you have some dreams that are related to your finances that are beyond what you personally have experienced so far. And maybe the feeling you want to have around money is not something you've personally experienced before. That's all well and good, except that according to your nervous system, which is directing a ton of your behavior, that's totally unsafe because it's unfamiliar. Because based on our childhood environment, we have a thermostat setting in our nervous system for what is familiar. And the environment that you were raised in, not the literal environment. So not like there was a chair over there and my parents were divorced and like not the facts, but the feeling of the facts. So the feeling of the facts of your childhood get imprinted in your nervous system as what it means to be alive. And uh, there's a whole other study field of study uh, about like your erotic imprinting and erotic meaning just like life force. So you, we will all orient according to the tone of our childhoods because that's the tone of what we learned it is like to be alive. And so if you find yourself recreating scenarios that feel really familiar, that means your body is doing it perfectly. There's nothing wrong with you if you find yourself being like, oh, hi, this again. Like, isn't that hey, interesting Dad, how I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, like how I'm dating somebody who acts exactly like my father for the 25th time? Hi, yeah. hello. <laughs> because according to your nervous system, that's what feels familiar and therefore safe and will be recreated over and over and over again until you die, unless you do something to actively change your thermostat setting. The good news is there's a million things you can do to change your nervous system thermostat. And our brains and our bodies are incredibly plastic, meaning they're changeable, but you just got to know to change it. And so what we do in order to change the thermostat setting is we learn to increase what my teacher Tal Darden calls our range of resonance, meaning our ability to expand our capacity to feel safe in a variety of different environments that are different than our baseline thermostat setting from childhood. So with a money example, like the tone, let's say the tone that you grew up in financially was chaos. So maybe sometimes the lights were on, sometimes there was tons of food in the fridge, but sometimes there was no electricity and sometimes you were getting evicted and sometimes there was no food and it was, it was chaos and it was unpredictable. 
And now you find yourself as a freelancer and you might not be like in and out of shelters. However, there's uh, some months are huge and then some months you have no clients. And then sometimes, you know, you need to invoice, but you can't get yourself to do it. And like all these things, right? So it's like you've recreated financial chaos. And so then what you desire is financial consistency. And so you just need to know like, oh, my nervous system is going to feel unsafe in financial consistency. So maybe that's why I started setting psychological fires in that one gig that I had where the money was consistent, but I couldn't get myself to show up on time or do the work on time or do good work. So I got fired because there was a situation where it felt unsafe. So we go to nervous system healing practices where we first signal to our body as we are on the precipice of something new, we just learn to say, hey, you're safe, which is incredibly simple. Yeah, so (laughs) simple. It's maybe not the easiest, but it is simple. So there's a, a number of different ways that we can do this. And one of my favorite techniques, which some people will find really helpful and some people will not like, um, is, which is fine. It's called okay. the havening technique. Uh, just know that like, there's no one size fits all. Uh, nervous system healing is a very individual journey, um, but I'll just teach it for those for whom it is helpful. And so this is called havening. And all you do is rub your palms of your hands over your forearms and the back and front of your other hand slowly, Hmm. kind of like you're putting lotion on slowly. That's nice. It is right. (laughs) Yeah. This is called havening. You can also take um, your hands and put them on your shoulders and just rub them slowly down the top half of your arms to your elbows and then back up to the tops of your shoulders. And the key is to go, you know, a little bit slow. Um, I notice for me, the minute I do that, I can, it just sort of feels like everything slows down and comes into Technicolor and I'm more present, which is an indication that the nervous system has switched from sympathetic, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn to parasympathetic, rest, restore, tend, and befriend. And we make our best decisions and are able to expand our reality from parasympathetic, which if you have trouble remembering, I always think of it as a parachute. Like the parachute is for safety. Mm. Parasympathetic is a feeling of safety. I love that. That's an awesome visual and sort of, I don't know, not acronym, but you know what I'm saying? I love that. It's like a little- device association. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, what I love about this so much is that one of the things that I've seen in some, uh, and again, not to, you know, be mean about, uh, you know, any mindset work or anything like that is there is this sort of tendency to try to look back to what happened in my past that made this happen now? Or like, that's making me like, what's the origin point of this? And not to say that that's, um, 
good or bad or anything in between. I think sometimes going back to origins can be very helpful. What I found at times is it's like, I don't know that I could pinpoint one thing. It might not even be that this thing is from like my lineage, you know, it could be from my grandmother or my mom or freaking seven generations back. And so what feels awesome about this is the simplicity of it. Okay. It doesn't feel good. And I also think too, um, my background was as a speech therapist. And I think a lot about like pre-verbal times, like the imprinting that might not even have words associated with it. And so, so many people talk about feeling and like bringing up a feeling of gratitude or whatever it may be, but this feels like deeply specific to be able to be like, I love my body. My body is telling me something doesn't feel good. It's trying to communicate with me. I may or may not be able to find an origin point. However, I know that I can use these. They're almost like they feel like little hacks, like simple tools and hacks to be able to uh, reprogram my nervous system very easily over time with repetition. So I think this is just so cool. I love it. That's awesome. It's worked so well for me and for the people I've shared it with. And like, obviously for the billions of people that use it, who I don't know, (laughs) Um, and it's just very effective. And, and to me, like things have to be simple in order for me to do them. I mean, I have two little kids. I run a company. Um, I also just don't like practices that are super involved. I'm just like, I don't want to do that. Um, but if it feels easy, I'll do it. (laughs) You're such a, I'm like, you're a three, five, she's a three, five manifesting generator with sacral authority for anybody who's wondering. And I feel like MGs are like, how can we bend this time? How can we make this faster? And also like, I'm going to do it my own way and experiment with what works for me. So I love it. And because then we all get to benefit from, you know, the desire of the fifth line to be able to have impact and help a lot of people. So, um, I'm curious, something that's been popping in my mind as we've been talking is around a a little bit of like a, a rewind back to when you decided to create the, the do less planner and, and that book. I'm curious, like, did this work of starting to work with your own nervous system have an impact on like how much you were working or what you considered like productive? Like, how did you shift your own nervous system around productivity? Cause I, I imagine that there was a big transformation from money, a love story, driving around in your car around the country with your books and you know, whatever to where you are, where you were able to get to the do less planner. So Yeah. So it's actually funny because, um, my study of the nervous system has post-stated both of my books. So, Mm. but here's, what's cool about the work that we're supposed to do. It finds us regardless. So when Mm. I go back to what was written in money, a love story and do less, I'm like, Oh, a lot of this is nervous system healing. I just had no idea. And I didn't know the language for it. And I didn't know why it worked. I just knew it worked. So here's an example. When I had my first daughter um, and she was 13 months old, I was still really struggling. So people talk about the postpartum period being like the fourth trimester, being like, you know, the few months after. And um, I 
was very much in a window of time of difficulty for much longer than that. So if you're in that window, there's nothing wrong with you. Um, and so I was, it was 13 months and I got my period back for the first time. I was still nursing her. And so I got my period back and all of a sudden I started just spontaneously doing this journaling practice. So every day I would write down what day of my cycle I was on, what phase the moon was in and how I felt energetically and emotionally. And it was just like a little journal that I did every night before bed. And I swear to you, it saved my life. Like that mm. three minutes a day was this life raft in a very tumultuous sea of emotions and mental health stuff. I just felt so profoundly out of control in new motherhood and um, struggled with all sorts of things. I had a sick baby, mastitis, postpartum insomnia, postpartum anxiety, um, you know, not enough support, blah, blah, blah. So when I realized then I started doing uh, research after then we realized that we had made, my husband and I, we had made more money uh, in our business that year, despite having put way less attention and energy towards it. Um, I did start to research and I started to look at what was that about? And one of the studies that I read was um, from Dr. Luann Brizendine's book, The Female Brain. And the study was about mom brain and, or in the mom brain chapter. And they talked about a study where they had uh, monkeys and they had a group of monkeys that had babies and they gave them consistent food and resources every day, food and water. And then they had another group of mama monkeys that they gave inconsistent, like some days was more than enough food and water. Some days wasn't enough. It was all over the place. It was totally inconsistent, unpredictable. And then the third group, they gave consistent resources, but they were just small. Like, so it was like a minimum amount of food, a minimum amount of water, but it was the same amount every day. So it was very predictable. Um, not surprisingly, the monkeys who had the same amount of food and water every day, that was a lot did great. The monkeys though, interestingly enough, who had a little bit of food and water every day that was consistent also did great. It was the monkeys who had an inconsistent amount where some days it was a ton, some days it was not enough. They lost it and they could not mother their, their babies properly. And I was like, oh my God, that's what's going on with me. My life has become so unpredictable that I have lost it because with a sick baby and erratic sleep patterns and inconsistent support, I never knew what a day or a night was going to bring. And I lost my mind and yeah. having my period come back, I it was something consistent and predictable that I could depend on in a, you know, relatively give or take a few days here and there. Sure. And I knew I was going to have these same four hormonal phases. And I knew like the flavor of each week. And it helped me to feel so calm because of the predictability. And what I learned later, as I started studying the nervous system is that predictability and knowing what to expect is a deeply healing element because it helps our nervous system and our body feel safe. And so 
through engaging in the journaling practice that became the do less planner, I was able to very profoundly heal my own nervous system through engaging with something predictable. I love this so much for so many reasons. I've been starting to do sunrise, sunset, and keeping things very predictable. And I'm like, I've seen a huge shift in my own body in a very short period of time. And it's also making me think about there's so many people who leap into entrepreneurship because they don't like their job and they don't feel like purpose in their job or whatever it may be. And it's like these people go from even people that I've worked with where it's like seemingly everything's good. You're making enough money into this sort of chaos where there's not really a routine or there's not really consistency coming in with money or clients. And people really do oftentimes start to lose it and things start to fall apart. And it's interesting because it's like, like what you're saying is paralleling that conversation of why we create consistency, even with like our money or our relationships or what we call into our lives from that environment. So I love even that idea of being able to see like, what are the routines that keep me in, um, like that are serving me those like things that seem consistent every day that feel really good, that are, are cyclical for my body versus the routines that maybe feel good because they're familiar, but they aren't Mm -hmm. actually serving the next evolution of where I want to thrive to. So I'm so glad you made that distinction. And I will say, if you are somebody like me, I'm also a seven Enneagram manifesting generator. I thrive on variety. Also, I do have a history of some unpredictability in my history. So there is a nervous system setting of like change feels really familiar to me. And so I always have to be tracking, am I messing with this area of my life because I'm afraid of consistency or is this actually what I need to be doing? And one of the things that I love about working with the menstrual cycle around my workflow or around uh, even my eating or my fitness, or even I've started experimenting with, um, with fasting cycles around my menstrual cycle, like just a whole bunch of different things. It's constantly changing. And that really satisfies the part of me that wants something different every day, but it's yeah. changing in a predictable cyclical way where it's like, I know in 28 days from now ish, it's coming back around again. So it's not just different for the sake of being like different. It's different in this predictable way. And that feels like a beautiful balance between my desire for things to be different all the time and my mutual desire for predictability. Okay. Can we talk a little bit about human design? Cause this goes right on into it. So, um, I love this and I want to have you share about relaxed money and all of your programs and all the things. So stay tuned, keep listening. But what I want to share is that in, in, um, the gene keys are an evolution of human design. So basically Richard Rudd was, uh, I think he ran human design UK and then he created the gene keys off of it. And there is our incarnation cross, which is all about, it connects to the work we're here to do in the world, but it also very directly connects to what keeps us grounded in our bodies. It's called this pathway of core stability. And so we can look, the way that I love to look at it is 
understanding, there's kind of two aspects of it. So we have the element that is the work we're here to do in the world. What is it that we're here to do? And then how can we be in our beingness so that we feel grounded and stable and secure? Um, and there's two elements and aspects of it. So what's really cool is there's something that's called our purpose, which is sort of this recurring theme that we have to learn through throughout our lifetime. And yours is in, you and I have the same incarnation cross because you're the 21st and I'm the 22nd. So I know this well. And I'm also an Enneagram seven because um, the incarnation crosses run like every few days they change. And so the purpose, it's what keeps us grounded into ourselves, but it's also what we learn through. And the 15 is all the jinky 15 is in its shadow expression. It's all about being an extremist. So we get really bored with something. And then we're like, okay, I'm going to go like hurl myself into a new unknown. And so you really beautifully described the 15 is the ability to um, find magic in our ordinary everyday lives. And it's this, it's called the city of fluorescence. And so it's this idea that we're always growing and blossoming and blooming and that um, we don't have to always hurl ourselves off the cliff, which I feel like is also very easy to do in personal development. Like I know I became a personal development junkie because I'm like, I got this. You want me to drop 15 grand tomorrow on this thing? I've got enough room on my credit card. Let's make it happen, you know? Um, but the 15, and and again, it's like, it's called the pathway of core stability and it changes for every person. It's like being able to, and you've got that line three in your, um, on the conscious side of your chart, which likes change. It's how can I, uh, find magic in the mundane? How can I just sh slightly shift my perspective so that maybe I can see something differently. And then also if I'm always flowering and blooming and changing and the 15 is deeply connected to the cycles of nature, then that becomes a way for you to be able to have that variety and that experience without mm -hmm. having to constantly hurl yourself into change. Love so, so much. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. That's so cool. Yeah. And then it's the other part of it is it's called your radiance and it's like, what makes you radiant? And it's all about naturally being yourself, like loving yourself, not obsessing over yourself. And whether it's like obsessing over weight or if you're doing enough or you're good enough, it's like just letting yourself be you and seeing where that takes you in life. And then your work side, which is cool. The gene key 25 is the sun. It's your life's work. It's what you're here to do, which is all about, um, constriction. Where am I constricting in my life? And so a lot of people actually who have this incarnation cross do talk about money. I have a lot of friends with this incarnation cross because what's one thing that makes most people constrict it's money. And then what fuels it? Like what's your unique edge that you bring is actually, it's called the gene key 46, which is all about playfulness feeling good in the body, connection to the physical body, connection into um, what feels good um, and getting very connected into, into the physical mm. body. So I love wow. that you like, That's it's so cool. Yeah. It's like cool to hear you talk about your own work and then how, and, and you've got the line three. So you are here to be in your work, which is like the experimenter. Like you're here to, you're here to show us how to change by going out and and figuring it out for yourself. So when you said 
oh, I always end up coming back to this nervous system work. The nervous system work is always fueling the money work. It's always fueling how we move through constriction. So I love it. That's so cool. Yeah. Love it. Thank you. Yeah. So anyways, tell everybody about how they can connect with you and what, um, I, I know doors just closed to relaxed money, but I'm assuming they might open again. Yeah, they will at some point, (laughs) probably in the fall of 2023. Um, So the best place to connect with me, I have something I created called the business pressure relief kit, but you could just call it the life pressure relief kit. So wherever it is that you're feeling constriction um, and pressure, whether it's time, whether it's money, whether it's, you know, achievement, Um, If you go over to katenorthrup.com, you'll see that in a variety of places and it's free. It's my six favorite strategies for finding immediate spaciousness without your circumstances needing to change, which tends to then change your circumstances. So (laughs) that's I'm going to go download it. Great. So grab that. (laughs) Um, There's some body-based practices in there and some other ones and a few mind ones, and then some logistical ones, mosquito flying around me. And then um, the other great place to connect is on Instagram at Kate Northrup. So that's where all my most current stuff is. And um, that's where you would can come say hello and check that out. Amazing. I will link everything below here so that you have it. I will also link relaxed money so that people can check out, check that out. Um, like I said, even just going through, um, some of that work with you when you just did your last live event is so incredible and so helpful. And people seem to be having incredible, um, transformations from that program as well. So go and check that out. I will link everything below. Kate, Thank you so much for being here with me today. This was awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. All right, everybody out there, make it a great day. And I will see you back here on the next episode of the podcast. Hey, hey, thanks so much for being here and listening to this episode of the Waking Up With Jess podcast. If you liked today's episode, I'm going to ask you to do one of three things. Number one, leave a rating. Number two, leave a review. And number three, if you think it could help a friend out in need, go ahead and send it to them. I greatly appreciate your support when you rate the podcast or leave a review. It helps other awesome and amazing listeners such as yourself find the podcast. And I love people and I love friends and I love people's friends. So being able to spread the love through your network is another really great way to support people and to support the show. All right, y'all make it a great day. And I will see you back here on the next episode of the waking up with Jess podcast.